0: Just as an aside before we turn to God's Word, I hope someone got a picture of Brady behind the donkey, because I might be able to use it at some point along the way. (laughs) Just guessing. Our scripture today is from uh, the book of Revelation, chapter whatever it is that you put up there, 18 or 19, 19, and starting at verse 6, um, hear God's Word. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb." And he added, these are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, today we are going to do a whole bunch of things. As I was preparing for this, I realized that you can read that first pairing two different ways, learning patterns or learning patterns. So learning patterns is the name of the thing that we're gonna be talking about. And we're not gonna be learning about patterns. We're not gonna be learning about different shapes and sizes and that. that's not for today. So we're gonna look at learning patterns. We're gonna look at Palm Sunday. We've got communion and we've got revelation. That's about 400 years worth of material, but we're gonna do it in 20 minutes. Um, We're gonna focus down to these four things. When you learn something, I've been taught, you learn it through these kinds of patterns. You start with not knowing what you don't know. That's a phrase I've been hearing a lot lately. You don't know what you don't know. It's kind of like it is what it is. It's very obvious. If you don't know something, you don't know something. But it helps us and reminds us that there are actually all kinds of things we don't know. My experience of education is the more educated I become, the more I aware of how little I actually know, right? So that's the first piece. The second is, you know what you don't know, you become aware that there's something you don't know, and then you knowingly know, you know it and you have to focus on it to do it, and then you unknowingly know, you can unconsciously and easily do it. Let me illustrate with learning to ride a bike. When you learn to ride a bike, you start by seeing somebody riding a bike and you think to yourself, probably that looks pretty easy, and you get on a bike and you fall down. You didn't know that you didn't know how to ride a bike, you saw a bike, you thought, I can probably do this. Once you've tried to get on the bike and you've fallen down and you've hurt your knee, you now know that you don't know how to ride a bike. You're very aware of it and your knee keeps reminding you. All right, so then hopefully someone comes along and they teach you and they hold you and they send you off on your merry way. And the first part of riding a bike, once you get the hang of it, is being very self-conscious and aware that I'm riding this bike. You know what you're doing, but you're always thinking about it. You're knowing that you're riding this bike and you're thinking, ride a bike, ride a bike, stay, stay up, stay up and ideally with all learning and also with riding a bike you get to the point where you just jump on the bike and you start riding you don't even think about it because you unknowingly know how to ride a bike no i'm not going to teach you how to ride a bike today we're going to use that to help us understand how communion progresses in the bible and in our lives and so my four points will be these four points and we're going to start with palm sunday because Palm Sunday has always been to me sort of a, a weird thing along the way. One, it's supposed to be Lent, which is supposed to be about confession and, and contrition and those kinds of things. And then we have this celebration. And then we do the palm branches. That's the part we want, right? And the kids love to do the palm branches and their friendship people love to do the palm branches. And we, we throw the coats and we do all that celebration. But we seldom spend a whole lot of time in Jesus' part there where he weeps, right? Because Palm Sunday is the people of God not knowing what they don't know. They don't know that this celebration that they're having, because they're having it because, well, Jesus is riding on a donkey. This is a sign. He's going to become king. We're going to take over. Everything's going to be great. So, of course, they celebrate, but they don't know what they don't know is the way to get to the other side of the struggle that they're in is through Jesus' death and resurrection. They don't know that, even though Jesus told them many times, that Jesus had to suffer, that he would be delivered over, that he would die on a cross. <coughs> excuse me, that he would die on a cross, and then on the third day he'd be rose- he'd be, uh, he would rise again so they don't know yet what they don't know so they're having this celebration and we celebrate Palm Sunday but there's always this sort of bittersweet thing going on where where we don't actually know what we don't know yet we're doing this for the wrong reasons at this point it's not really a great celebration because it's for kind of all the wrong reasons blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord absolutely but not because he rode in on a donkey and took over and peace in heaven and glory in the highest? Absolutely, but not until after Easter, after the power of the resurrection. We start with, we don't know but we don't know. Second, Last Supper or First Communion. I'm using the Luke version of this. This is where we know that we don't know. Because if you listen to Jesus leading people into um, the Last Supper, into the Communion, he's making it really clear that he's changed a whole bunch of things. Let me stop and give a little advertisement. The Wednesday, after Easter, we're having the the group Jews for Jesus come and do a presentation called Christ in the Passover. What I'm about to say to you now in about a minute and a half, they will spend probably 45 minutes doing. It's brilliant, it's amazing. Even if you've seen it, see it again, because it gives you all the connections between what happened in the Passover and what happens in our communion. Very helpful. Timing's a little off, it's after Easter, should've been now, but you know, we can't control everything all right back to my message so last supper first communion this is when we begin to know how little we know because Jesus says this cup is the new covenant in my blood and he says drink of it all of you and the idea that Jesus would be asking people to drink his blood makes absolutely no sense in Judaism for sure if the disciples were listening at all they're going yeah I don't know what he's talking about that's crazy Right, that's the best they probably would have come up with. He also says, this bread is my body. Right. Another thing where they're going, no, that's, that's not how this works. This is, this is the unleavened bread. There's no body involved. The Passover used to be about the lamb, not about a person. It used to be not about the bread. It used to be about the lamb. All those kinds of things going on. And then this part, verse 22, the son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him what they are starting to clue into as Jesus does this first communion or last supper with them is, wait a minute, and they start doing this. Who's going to betray you? Is it me? Us? And so by the end of the evening, by the time Jesus is crucified... They've all actually betrayed him, they've all run away. They've abandoned him, betrayed him, denied him. They've done all kinds of things and they come into the understanding. They start to know that they don't know what's going on because Jesus dying on the cross doesn't fit the game plan. It doesn't fit with Palm Sunday. It's a whole other kind of thing. Three, our regular communion. We'd like to think now that we know what we know. But I want to caution you that we only know what we know. We haven't gotten to unknowingly knowing about communion yet. As we participate in communion on a regular basis, we read these words, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's knowingly knowing. That's us going through the motions knowing, yeah, this little piece of bread and this little cup and this ritual of words that we continue to experience, it's not quite everything. There's always that until he comes line in there, which tells us there's a bit more. There's more to this. And that's how we get to the passage for today, the wedding feast of the Lamb. In the wedding feast of the Lamb, you're gonna notice that all the rest of my points are point four. That's because all the rest of the points are about the fact that we are going to be in a place someday when we unknowingly know what we're doing as we worship God, as we participate in the feast, as we celebrate together. And it has these parts to it. First, that we're caught up in worship. John writes, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting. Imagine this, imagine that someone was walking down um, Main Street out there today, and we are worshiping with the doors closed. And as they're walking along, they're going, what is all that noise it sounds like there's thousands and thousands of people in there and they're making just a, a ton of not just loud noise but beautiful powerful enticing noise we worship here as a foretaste as a beginning even at our best and let's admit it we got good worship even at our best, we're beginning to taste what it's going to be like to be caught up in the fullness of what it means to worship God. Now, sometimes when people imagine heaven, the afterlife, they imagine us something like sitting on clouds and playing harps and and worshiping all the time. I don't know about you, but that's not that actually attractive to me. I'd like to do a few other things along the way as well. But part of it will be, When there's opportunity, when there's gathering, somehow we will be totally caught up in fully, freely, hands raised, bodies open to whatever God wants to do through us kinds of worship. And what we do now is our foretaste. We're working our way up, we're practicing, we're getting ready for that. Second thing, also point four, the full freedom of knowing who reigns. What they say is hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. So the ultimate freedom that we're working towards, the ultimate freedom of unknowingly knowing who God is, is being deeply aware of who sits on the throne. And I want to tell you that this is the main take-home, think-about-it piece of this message as far as I'm concerned, because our biggest challenge right now is actually knowing who sits on the throne. So our words say and our worship says God is on the throne, But all of us have this ongoing sort of struggle about, no, I wanna be on the throne. I wanna make decisions for myself. I know what's best for me. I wanna be in charge. But there's no greater freedom, as strange as it may sound in words, there's no greater freedom than being under the reign and authority of God, right? So logically it works like this. God created you, he knows you, he gave you all of the abilities that you have and he has in store for you the best way for you to live and yet for most of us there's those moments where you go really does what god want me to do is that really the best way for me to go right and we hear that voice from genesis 3 does god really have what's best in mind for you and we wonder we try our own thing we get on the bike without being trained and we fall down again the most freeing way for us to live is knowing what God's limits, God's boundaries, God's plans are for us, entering into those things as fully as we possibly can. And finding that that's where we find our truest and our fullest freedom. Third thing under point four, full union with Christ. For the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. So, we are collectively the church all over the world is the bride of christ that's a biblical image that's used again and again especially in revelation and of course the idea of a wedding is the two shall become one that's how we understand marriage um, from a biblical perspective right and so the wedding feast of the lamb is is what we already have what we're begin to taste whenever i talk to you about your identity in christ we're talking about the fact that we have been united with christ we've been connected with christ But we all experience only that that passionate connection with Christ is is not fully realized yet. We're not experiencing it at its 100%. And so what we're looking forward to, what we're moving towards, what we're tasting now and anticipating later, is an absolute open conversation with Jesus. I'm gonna do another advertisement here. The one full week after Easter, Starting on Sunday, April 16, we're gonna do the week of guided prayer. And there's a sign up out there and there's still space as far as I know. I encourage you because things like that are us again, tasting a little piece of what that full union with Christ really looks like. When you spend extra time saying, I'm gonna focus on paying attention to God, listening to him, allowing Jesus and the spirit to, to guide me through this week, you're again getting a foretaste of that full wedding feast experience um, that we're looking forward to at the end of our time here. Full union with Christ, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then this, robed in righteousness. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her, the bride to wear. And in parentheses, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Now my friends at Bema, as they cover this line, they, they sort of chuckled. Because if you know anything about the book of Revelation, It's full of the most complicated symbols and images in the world. And this is the one he explains to us. I could have figured this one out by myself. Tell me what the dragon with the seven heads and the seven horns and all the eyes means. That would have been helpful, John. You didn't need to tell me that fine linen might be the righteous acts of God's people. There you go, I'll ask John when we get there why he did that. Clothing. Clothing is an interesting thing in church because we have a tradition of wearing your Sunday best, right? and about seven to 800 people have told me over the course of my lifetime that if I were to go see the queen, I would dress up even better than I am now. To which I answered, by the way, I don't think I'd go see the queen. I don't quite get that thing, right? <laughs> or the king. Also, the king I would go see is not Charles. Charles doesn't matter too much to me, a little bit, because I am Canadian, we are part of the Commonwealth, etc. right? The only king, that I want to go see is Jesus. And that king, when he talks about clothing, never talks about this or this or shoes. Colossians 3, clothe yourselves with compassion and love and gentleness. And here, the fine linen that will be put upon us At the marriage feast of the Lamb, when this whole communion thing comes into its fullest full form, will be the righteous acts, the righteous acts that we have done. And that's interesting because we we always need to pay attention to what do our good deeds have to do with anything along the way, right? So we always want to clarify, you don't do good things so that you'll earn your place into a relationship with Jesus, Jesus did the good act, that's what Good Friday is. He did the great act, that's what Easter resurrection is. He did the good act, you just simply receive that, so you don't earn it. You also don't do your good deeds so that other people can see how good you are, right? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Don't do things so that you look good in front of other people. Don't dress for other people. But what our good deeds are, is the right clothing for us to wear the most fitting attire for anybody who wants to follow jesus is the good deeds that fit the situation which you're in so if i see somebody and they're in need and i'm a follower of christ the best clothing i can wear is compassion and love and a helping hand and gentleness the fruit of the spirit c.s lewis wrote a book called the great divorce horrible title for what he's talking about Um, It's about heaven and hell and and how that all works and so on. He clarifies at the beginning, this is a fantasy, so please don't take this as science and theology. But in that story, as this seeker sees the inhabitants of heaven, I guess I would call them, he sees that they're, they're clothed in such incredibly beautiful clothing of all kinds of colors and so on, but it's like they're not even wearing anything at the same time. And it's this image in my mind of being so perfectly attired that it fits on you so lightly that they don't even notice, right? When we come to the wedding feast of the Lamb, what we'll be clothed in is that which fits, that which is appropriate. And what we do as we prepare for the wedding feast of the Lamb is we do things that just fit and are appropriate to people who are loved by Christ and therefore love others because of Christ's love. Just so you know the worst thing you can say to a pastor after a sermon on the way out is i really like your shirt today right that means i don't know what you're talking about buddy but that's a nice shirt i like that shirt okay so i know i'm going to get that one today I, I i earned that but beyond that not helpful and finally under point four our unknowingly knowing this supper the angel says to john Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You're blessed because you got invited. And guess what? You are invited. Come on in. The end of the book of Revelation is the bride and the Spirit saying, come. And to all those who are thirsty, he says, Come. And anyone who has any desire to be filled and cared for and loved and embraced and all those things the biblical messages come come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest said jesus blessed are those who are invited you're invited simply come because you're invited and receive all that christ has in store and as simple as that is to say and as simply true as what I just said is it's so hard for us because we're quite convinced there must be something else I need to do I must be at least better than somebody I need to be competing and be ahead of somebody in order to get this he says no bless are those just simply because you're invited let us be also like Christ in this to unknowingly know that we need to embrace and welcome and encourage everybody towards the feast of god towards a relationship with jesus because blessed are those who are invited you are invited let us pray lord jesus christ as we come to your table we thank you for your invitation and we pray that you'll fill us and guide us that as we taste today what we knowingly know that you'll put in our hearts an anticipation for that time when you come again when we with full experience of you and all that is good and true and beautiful can enter into that wedding feast with you. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Fill us as only you can. In your holy name, amen.